Welcome back to Keeping Current with Kansas City. This is Thad Bell from the Blue Testament. I have with me Daniel Sperry from the Kansas City Star. Uh, been yo, a few yo. days. Been a few days since yeah. we talked. Yeah, been a few days since we talked. Enough and, has happened. Yeah, in the soccer world, lots has happened. The uh, let's just dive right in. I guess the yeah NWSL and NWSL Players Association joint report was made public mm-hmm. a few days ago. Yeah. Uh, Kansas City was mentioned. And not all in a positive light, obviously. Yeah, otherwise it wouldn't yeah. be in the report. Correct. Um, I mean I can you can find my article on KansasCitystar.com. You can find Thad's article on his website about it. I mean, the report is what the report is. Um I, I wanna highlight some key terms here. Um, the fact that it was a concern. Um, I don't know that there's anything in the report that ever says they were found guilty of it, uh, much less in the same situa- same situations um, that happened in Orlando and uh, uh, Houston, I think, was the idea of the retribution and stuff that was going on with Clarkson and uh, whoever the coach was in Orlando before. And I apologize because I there's so many of these things that we've had to deal with over the last few years that yeah, like it's, I, it's, I just lose track of the names of coaches because they change they've changed every single year. It's, um, it's a revolving door, been, man. It's like yeah, it's hard to tell. So, yeah. And so um, I do want to make note that those are it is a concern that it was concerns. Um, I think that's important here um, to note that um, uh, they were it was a report by players that they didn't like the language that Hugh was using at them. Um, you can read the report. You can read my article. I'm not going to go on here and start spewing all the stuff that was said by Hugh. Um, I you know I think some there's a party of people on the internet that believe that's just good hard coach speak and there's another party of people that are saying yeah but maybe we've gone too long with um some harsher and more aggressive terms as good hard coach speak um so i i think there's a, a two parties here that are very vocal on either side of that um players did not uh like that they voiced it in a meeting to ownership um it got back to hugh about uh, who spoke up at that meeting about him. And um, I think at a point, you know, multiple players had said to each other that they felt like they wouldn't be surprised if they got traded or moved. Six players were reportedly, no names have been given out. Six players reportedly um, stood up uh, in that meeting and and talked and directly addressed uh, the Long family in that, in that meeting. Um, and five of those six were no longer on the roster the next season. However, when you are a last place team, as noted by both Angie and I'm sure Hugh did as well, when you're a last place team, a lot of changes get made regardless. Um, I, you know, that that is going to happen when you are trying to become a better team. Change got made at the coach. Um, I, I think, you know, some of the, the remaining concerns that people have is the fact that if they, you know, why did they remove him? And if there was this concern, why was he still in a position of power where he could um, potentially have input or, uh, you know, to the front office about um, players that were on the roster on that meet on the in that meeting and they could have taken action. Um, there are some interesting transactions that happened towards the end of um, his tenure officially as head coach before Cami um, officially took over on January 14th as uh, as the GM uh, and was in place at that point, as well as Matt Potter becoming the head coach as well, effective of those certain dates. So um, I have talked a lot here about it at this point, at least tried to spew out the, the basic facts, the basic ideas here. Um, uh, I, um, I, 
personally, I, I think my biggest question is if, if Hugh was let go or is no longer a part of the club as of, as of, uh, um, November, as of November, as we were told on the day that this report came out and I asked Megan Burke, um, the NWSL Players Association uh, president on the press conference, if she had felt comfortable with the idea of people who, you know, are named in this report as perpetrators of quote of, of whatever misconduct it may be, um, especially Hugh still being in a position of place where he coached the Casey, uh, you know, the Casey current two, as well as the, um, you know, had input into the roster and input in scouting decisions that were made to the front office to acquire players and stuff like that. Did, you know, were, were they so comfortable with that um, despite knowing what the concerns were, you know, uh, that were made by the current players. And um, she didn't want to speak directly to that point because I assume she already knew that he was no longer there, which was news to me um, until I was, I, I happened upon that information a little bit later in the day. Um, Same. And uh, as did apparent, like I looked at it, Jonathan Tannenwald and I tweeted the exact same thing at the exact same time as well. So we're like, okay, apparently we're all hearing this from the maybe same people, same time, who knows, maybe, but um, it it was uh, the the response was a, a reshuffling of the deck, uh, uh, and reshuffling of those who commit misconduct um, is not a way forward for a safer future. Um, I agree with that statement. I don't know that um, safe in the terms of like physical and some of the really nasty parts of this report abuse. I don't think that obviously that, that didn't seem like it was a concern. It hasn't been raised as a concern um, at this point. So, you know, safety in that aspect from Hugh doesn't totally add up, but I understand the statement that she's trying to make. So I think there's genuine questions that people that people have about the timeline of things about um, you know, how it was all handled um, uh, in general. Um, and I think for some people, it is maybe taking the, the shine off of we're doing everything right um, that the current have continued to, to claim that they do. And I, I will say even, I mean, even the San Diego Wave for, uh, have people in their decision making that were named in this report, uh, including Jill Ellis. I mean, there's, there's lots of people in this report that um, uh, got that were, were had maybe some issues and some oversights of theirs brought to light. Um, and I, I think we will continue to see fallout from all of that in the coming days. Um, I've tried to get answers, uh, you know, about my questions about the timeline with you, um, from the club have not been responded to. Um, so it's just one of those things that, you know, I, I understand the answers are the questions are out there for folks doing our best to get to them and, if they get answered eventually one of these days, uh, maybe we actually have more of a story to tell, but um, you know, the report is what the report is at this moment. Right. Yeah. I, I need like 30 minutes to respond to everything you just said, man. Sorry, man. <laughs> Got to give you crap. It's a lot. Um, it's a lot of information. I know. I know. But um, all right. So I always want to be clear when I do these things and I talk about this, I have considered Hugh Williams a friend for a long time. So if I say anything, I try to be very cognizant of walking in the fine line that I'm I'm trying to be objective when I talk about these things. So sorry for my dryer buzzer going off in the background, folks. I did not hear it. So anyway, when uh when I talk about these things, I try to be like I said, very objective and just straight as I can about it. The uh 
the report obviously was like you said very disturbing again the there's so many things that were so very wrong that it's almost you almost want to like delineate the two between just some verbal stuff versus the uh sexual misconduct if we will say um yeah i know you just got back the uh there's just there's a it, like you said there was so much stuff that was in there i almost want to delineate between the stuff that was like absolutely horrible sexual misconduct kind of thing versus some of the more verbal abuse kind of thing um and again i like i said i'm i've been a friend with you for a long time i've watched him coached a hundred different practices i've never seen him act like what was supposedly said or not what was supposedly said but what was said in the report um I would say the most likely thing would have been the, oh, these drills are done by my U14s or U12s. But I would have seen that more as the kind of dad, you know, teasing you, you got to do better kind of thing, which may not apply to professionals, but that was his coaching style. Yeah. And I, you know, I also think too, like a lot of this, a lot of this stuff happened behind closed doors. I mean, people, um, from the littler, you would say, quote, littler things to the the worst things. They all happen behind closed doors, you know. And I think, uh, you know, it's one of those things, too, where maybe the delivery of the comment um, didn't come off how he thought he intended it to. Right. And I can't, you know, I'm, and the hard part is I'm not there. I'm not going to, I don't want to, I don't want to necessarily, like, defend it either. I just think that, um, you know, there's, we we have to take, um the, the report and what was you know reported by players to the NWSLPA at, at face value um and you know that that absolutely has to be taken into consideration because they're the ones who are there on the receiving end of it and understanding it um I'll go back to a couple of comments too that I think were made um I'm working on a couple of articles throughout the year about just the general change that happened with the KC current um <clears throat> was uh, there was a comment that was made from Kristen Hamilton about to me about you know what it was asked I asked her you know what has been this resurgence this goal scoring resurgence for you like what's been attributing to it how has the coaching staff done that and she talked about um, the constant positive reinforcement um, from staff and you're not getting yelled at you're not getting screamed at now Hamilton also played under Paul Riley um, as well, uh, in, in the courage. So that that's a background that happens as well, but you know, if the report is what it is and, uh, you know, says what it says, and I take, you know, Hamilton's words in there, I have to think, okay, maybe Hugh's words are, were a part of that too. And the, the positive reinforcement of action that is taken by this coaching staff now was seen, uh, for a lot of the players who are returning as such a breath of fresh air and a real, uh, added feel to the camaraderie of the team and why everybody was able to buy in and believe so hard in what they did. And so, you know, every coach has a different coaching style. And like I said, you know, I think we're also at a point where coaching styles uh, and a lot of people are going to have to adjust behavior period by based on, based on what's been going on yeah. um, in the NWSL and the NWSLPA. And it's going to, um, uh, there's going to be a level of 
behavior adjustment that's going to have to come from coaches as well. Um, especially with, if you look at some of the stuff that the NWSLPA and the NWSL is um, trying to introduce in terms of uh, worker rights and stuff like that, as far as um, going as far to have the CBA that and laws, bylaws in the league that protect players from retaliatory transactions and all that kind of stuff. As, as they do that and broaden that stroke of protection of the players, um, you know, coaches are going to have to, um, maybe adjust some things that have long been learned and long been patterns of who they were. And, you know, I, I, again, I don't want to compare Hugh necessarily to any of some of those who were really, um, who had, you know, had racial undertones to what they said, like Corey Dames, um, and some of the abuse and stuff that was going on in Chicago with Artem, um, sorry, Artem was the owner, but the, the head coach that was in, uh, Arnhem was the owner, the, right. the, the former head coach in, in Chicago. The name escapes me. Like I said, folks, earlier, there's a thousand names that have been popped up as folk coaches in the last two years who have, you know, perpetrated misconduct and such. So um, it's a little late in the day. So we're yeah, yeah, <laughs> a little late in the day. Um, so it's just one of those where I, you know, coaches, th- those coaches got through almost whole lives and careers of coaching without ever having to learn and adjust behavior. Um, and it boiled over into some very nasty things on either side for them. Uh, same with Paul Riley. Um, you know, that was his like way of trying to instill this competitiveness in them. But um, I even think I'm going to take a quick MLS parallel. Gabriel Heinze was the head coach at Atlanta United, got booted um, for uh, some you know, mental uh, abuse of players and borderline physical abuse of players and and some of the stuff that he was having them go through withholding of water, withholding of certain things, comments he would make to people, um, how they conducted weight tests and stuff like that. I mean, it's, it's a very old school way of thinking. And I think as we continue to humanize athletes and humanize those that are in those positions, we are at a point where we're really coaches and are, are in the old school ways that we're, we're meant to instill this competitiveness and all this stuff that are, you know, borderline military tactics, um, I think are, are going to go by the wayside. And because that is, you know, it's sports, is there's a way to do it with positive reinforcement and encouragement. Um, I think Potter and his staff have shown the track record that it does freaking work um, when you act like that. Um, I even think Vlaco, um, Vlaco's hard on players, but at the same time, and has high expectations, but at the same time, um, you know, the way he, we have seen and heard that he guides these players, there's a, a more, a, a much, a very respectful way of, of how he goes about it. And, um, you know, I think that for the most part, um, that's it. I mean, we're, we're, it's going to really boil down to, um, the old school, like those old school tactics are not yeah. going to work because we're now valuing the player uh, as a person much more. So in how we protect them, which I, I agree with, um, which it still comes back to is why I was very surprised that it was reported that Hugh said these things because like I've seen him coach a hundred different practices. I've, he was under, he was coaching with Vlaco, um, I've seen him coach everything from little kids to NWSL professionals. And then he never acted in that sort of thing in any time that I ever saw him. And then add in a lot of different just conversations I've had with him about players. I'm going to go back to when the players had a meeting with the longs. Uh, 
I, I, it's two things there. One is that it should not have gotten out of there who spoke up. It should not have at all. A hundred percent. Correct. Um, and it sounded like a staff member and one of the longs told Hugh that, but it should not have gotten out of there. But with everything that we've dealt with the longs, I mean, we've talked to them a plenty mm-hmm. of times now and seen what they say and what they've done for the club. How much it's it's hard for me again to uh, make these things add up of what sh- what they have said, what they have acted, and then saying, "Oh, we're just ignoring your concerns," mm-hmm. if they felt they were even remotely valid. You know what I mean? Like, how does that yeah. add up? Yeah, and again, I think I'll go back to you know, it's you don't I <clears throat> and don't I don't want to take this. I I hope this isn't taken as a as a shot against the longs at all. Um, Cause I do think they are genuinely have the best interests of these players uh, at heart um, and, and the best intentions of how they want to operate and do everything. Um, but at the same time, one people make mistakes, everybody makes mistakes. Um, yeah. And two, uh, not everybody who is a public figure um, is who we think they are all the time. And no. I think, you know, and that, that extends to all areas of life. And I think that's one of those things where we um, have to be still be vigilant in how fans and player fans see things and how we as reporters see things, um, you know, from a journalistic standpoint. Um, we have to be vigilant that we separate um the relationships that form with people that we work very closely with on a regular basis, um, that that is not always going to be reality. And that, and that's, that's how that, and so we have to be able to separate those relationships, um, from that. And it's okay. If I, I, to me, I think if the longs made a mistake there, they're, they made a mistake that they're going to learn from and, and passing on that information. Um, and I don't think it necessarily, um, I would hate to say it doesn't take away from it, but it does take a little bit of the shine off of, um, you know, the the stated intentions of the team here and there. And I think that was something I mentioned earlier is that, you know, that that's going to be something that will be interesting to see how it unfolds over the next year is, um, you know, how do fans handle all of this um, uh, and take that in and where do they go with it? Where do they channel these, um, the, these you know, struggles in between them to um, – you know, do they feel like that that shine got taken off for them as well? And how do they handle, um, you know, season tickets? How do they handle how much they want to to get into going into stuff? I mean, it's a it's a giant ripple effect. Um, and you can ask some of the teams that had severe issues uh, in the off seasons and stuff like that, like North Carolina, like Chicago, um, and how how that has affected um, their fan base. I will say it's been really impressive in all of this to watch how Louisville's fan base. Um, both the men and the women's team have really rallied strong together as a community to really stand against their club. But uh, that that's, the, that's their lifeblood is that club there in Louisville. It's the only pro sports team that exists in Louisville. Yeah. Um, and so they, you know, Chicago, they, they, they lose their interest. They're out of it. North Carolina has plenty of other stuff that they can go in mean, the North Carolina women's soccer team i know they lost the national championship but they're halfway to a pro team anyways with the amount of prospects and the the stud players that they have on that squad and they play at the same dang field that the courage do so it's it's one of those things that i uh i'm curious to see how it plays out 
um, over the next year. Uh, and like I said, you know, we're still trying to get, I'm still trying to get answers um, on some of this stuff and we'll see if we do um, because I do know that there's a lot of questions that people have out there. So we'll see, we'll see how it shakes out over the next year. But um, you know, I don't, I don't, I, I think it needs to be noted um, in all of this, everybody's uh, hands and what happened um, here from the top down. And I also think that we still have to like, take a look at what they're really trying to do. I, from all, from by all accounts, Matt Potter um, is a really genuine coach and a genuine guy who really cares about his players, um, both on the field and off the field as he commonly states that he cares about the human being more so um, that they're, if they're taken care of, then they'll be taken care of on the field. And we've seen that happen for a lot of players as well. So, and a lot of players have voiced the, you know, the positive impact that have happened. I do think there's a lot of good people at the club that are in decision-making stands at the places now um, that maybe weren't there in the beginning and, you know, are continuing to help the longs achieve this, this player first goal, which does not include, reports like what we saw, um, you know, in, in that report. So um, I'd be curious how it all shakes out, but I, I, I know it'll take the shine off for a few people. That doesn't mean that um, the current aren't going in the right direction and making uh, true, true strides and true progress in getting all that done. It was also interesting that just after that time, uh, the assistant coach, Ella Mazar, if I'm saying that terribly, probably, mm-hmm. uh, left with some interesting comments on an Instagram account, which led to yeah. even more questions, which will probably not be answered right away. Yep. All of those. Um, yeah. Ella announced on Instagram on Friday um, and via Twitter for the team uh, has announced anything yet. She said it, she hoped the team would announce it this week. That she's no longer going to be on the assistant coaching staff. Um, she had a whole bunch of comments about, you know, how thankful she was for everybody that she encountered at the club and one of the, her comments was for, for what's next. Well, first and foremost, to be respected um, and valued. And I, I thought that was a interesting comment to come out uh, in that same week. Um, again, as we, as that alluded to more questions now that we all have, um, yeah. but Which, I, I th- it, it, again, I, it just leads to some questions about whether everybody is who we think they are. Yeah. I, I can't, I can't say any more about that right now. So. Um, all right with, um, again, I, like I've said, I've, I've been a friend with you for a long time. I can't, you know, make these things come out the way I've known him. Um, but it also does mean that we needed to be critical and look into it. And, you know, I, I, I just, I say this, that I was a friend with you, not to like diminish uh, anything he was accused of, but just so that you're all, everybody always knows that I'm, I'm trying to balance what I report versus what I know mm-hmm. not just know him, but maybe some other things that I've been told that I've not at Liberty to say, because mm-hmm. uh, um, I also know that there were some players last year that were extremely thin skinned because I got contacted by one about something I said in a pod. Mm-hmm. So I was actually being complimentary of the player but she did not think I was being complimentary enough. So I just try to balance all of that from what I know. Um, going forward, though, 
let's let's is there anything more we want to say about this right now because I, I know we were a few days after the event at this point just, yeah at this point we've written about at this point, it until we have answers it. we don't have much more to say right so let's do something positive well let's do two things positive actually two players were uh out of contract and have been re-signed one being Haley mace to was it three years four years through 2025 right Yep, Haley Mace three years, uh, and she, she was already under contract for next year, actually, and Correct. so it's just been a new three year contract, but yep. that year was already yep. included, and yep. then uh, Kate Delfava for two years, I two years through twenty twenty four, yes, through the new stadium. So yeah, uh, both great players, uh, both really had breakout seasons. Uh, Haley Mace a little bit more. Um, higher profile than Kate Delfava had, but Kate Delfava had one of the biggest moments of the year, scoring her first career goal in the 100th minute to knock off Houston Dash in the playoffs. Uh, Kate, Iron Woman, was the only player on the team to make an appearance in all regular season matches, and she made an appearance in every match from, um, I believe, the NWSL, the Challenge Cup semifinal, all the way through to um the uh nwsl championship game played in every single game there so um kate really came into her own there too and she got moved out as the white as the right wing back um after uh mallory weber um weber weber sorry if i said it wrong mallory just please mallory mallory yeah uh, after she went down with a torn acl in the opening match of the year um, I know they tried to do some other things, played Kristen Edmonds out there for a little bit too. Um, ultimately, the team got a lot better when both Haley Mason Kristen, and Kate Delfava were at right wing back and Kristen Edmonds got moved back in as one of the third center backs. Um, and they went on, a th- surprisingly, once those two really got locked in that position, they went on a 13-game unbeaten run. Um, so I, uh, very, very good players. Um and uh you know well-deserved contracts and hopefully good pay raises as well um for for what they do and i think that's for me is um you know a a good sign of front office recognizing the talent that they have and making sure that they're uh properly um properly paid yeah Compensated. compensated valued yeah um all those Going back to what you were saying about Kate, uh, she got that opportunity after uh, Weber was injured, but it was also somebody else was out, which was when she got moved into that specific role. It was a little bit later after that that she got more playing time when Weber was out, but she was specifically moved Mm -hmm. into that role when somebody else was sick or injured, and she embraced Mm it and just got better every game at it. Um, Haley Mace uh, is, you know, she can play either side. She can play uh, a true winger also. So she has that versatility, but right now it just looks like they have essentially put all the pieces back together with one exception. Well, I'll mm-hmm. say two exceptions. Uh, they have not added somebody on defense yet when, uh, no. after losing Kristen Edmonds and with Desiree Scott still out there as a free agent. Mm-hmm. And we don't really know what that status is other than I know the both last time we both talked to him, it was, yeah, we're talking. Yeah. Yeah. The, uh, um, <clears throat> but I would actually be halfway okay with uh, if they both just, I mean, I would be okay right now if this was the team that started the, you know, with the draft picks additional also. But this mm-hmm. is a pretty good looking team, especially with the return of Lynn Williams. Mm-hmm. Sam Mewis, Mewis is still unknown. 
but right. with Vanessa DiBernardo and Morgan Gattrell, this is looking like a solid midfield. Yeah, uh, a very solid midfield. And to be honest, I mean, we have to think about the back line depth to Addison Merrick um, can play as a, a center back at a back three, um, can play as as a fullback as well. You have um, Alex Loera who can play it as a six or as a center back, um, uh, not to mention, uh, you know, Elizabeth Ball there um, on top of it uh, and Jenna Weinbrenner as who, you know, started off really, really well and got injured and just didn't get back into the team because everyone else was playing so well ahead of her. So I think, uh, you know, with the draft, they can add more young defenders. Um, I'm sure they will. Um, I, I don't know. Maybe they don't make another addition to the defense. I, who knows? Um, uh, do they make a trade eventually with all these draft picks? Again, who knows? That's a question maybe we'll have January 14th. But uh, I, I think the roster's in really good shape. Um, especially if, if everybody's healthy, the roster's in really good shape um, and, and ready to go. Uh, so I I am I applaud them for keeping their key pieces. I applaud them for the good additions to the midfield. Um, and we'll see if, you know, the additions to the midfield also help out the defense and keeping the ball a little bit more. Um, I am quite confident it will. The, uh, <laughs> one of the biggest weaknesses for the current last year was that they were a turnover machine. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, there would be one or two passes and then lose the ball quite often. And yep. uh, B. Bernardo and Gatro are both much better ball handlers, much better, take better control control of the ball, much more calm. So that buildup should be uh, incredibly better and have more possession, which then takes a little edge off your defense. Yep. It, Correct. We'll just have to see how coach plays them, what formation he puts them in, what, who goes in what positions and again people still being healthy and hopefully recovering fully from the injuries i have doubts so all right what else do we need to chat about today mr sperry i think i mean i think we're all covered right uh i mean one parting thought i really hope that uh the women's world cup um just comes up and builds on the incredible momentum that the men's world cup uh, generated, especially that final. Um, there's a lot of great soccer that was played on the men's side over the last couple months, and we know that the women's side as well can play great soccer, and the Women's World Cup is just as entertaining. So um, I'm really hoping that that momentum and that interest in the global game carries over for when the women are at the World Cup in New Zealand and Australia this coming summer in 2023. That's my Christmas wish. How's that? Since we're probably not going to pod until after Christmas. so Probably not, unless we get bored. Um, unless we get bored. Yeah, which is going to be difficult the next few days. <laughs> Although we might just sit home at, during a blizzard. We could like just do pods for nothing. Uh, no, but talking about the World Cup, it's often been the Women's World Cup was more exciting than the Men's World Cup. Mm-hmm. And there's just as many, if not more, storylines. This one, the, the men's one in this one, though, is going to be hard to pass or even come close to equaling just because of the storylines of Argentina, France, Messi, Mbappe. Mm-hmm. Uh, yep. So many other okay. huge stars that are not going to get another World Cup. Sophia Smith versus Patelis. That's going to be the storyline in, in New Zealand. I'm down for it. Fair enough. We'll go with that. All right, man. Thanks for joining. Uh, please. Yeah, thanks for having me. Uh, follow, like, whatever, comment, let us know. And uh, see you later. Mm-hmm.